Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are here in the uh, studio at the campus of Wisconsin Lutheran College recording an episode on Wade's latest book, which is not so ironically called Let the Bird Fly, a life in a world given back to us. Uh, It's from 1517, uh, The Legacy Project. They have published a number of Luther, or uh, Luther, sorry, dude, Wade's books, and it's it's out now. Yep, it came it out, out last now. week. It is out now. So. Whose name is also on the cover, Mike? Um, I did the forward, so I did get a little. Yeah, that was nice. Nice of you to allow me to write the the forward there. It's a nice little book. Um, kind of, you sort of thought about it as a primer for ethics, um, but I think it's probably a little bit more theological than that so don't be don't be turned off if you're like ethics that sounds boring um but about 104 pages a nice little pickup and we're gonna uh talk that uh through on maybe how you wrote the book why it's important and maybe some highlights of that book um and our free-for-all is gonna be what was our free-for-all favorite thing you have in your office and thing you don't have in your office that you wish you had gotcha so we'll you, get... you mentioned 1517 publishing by the way uh, micah where are we going to be? That's right. We're we getting are ready. Where out. are we going to be this week? We are heading out. Uh, you are Are you leaving Tuesday or Wednesday morning? Wednesday at 5 something a.m. I'm leaving uh, closer to 1 in the afternoon. We're heading to San Diego for the Here We Still Stand conference. This will come out after the, the conference, so we're not going to talk about well, the Hopefully, won't this be Tuesday's episode, or is there another one in the hopper? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will come out tomorrow. That depends on Peter. Yeah. But if it does, and you want to get a last-second flight to San Diego, maybe there's some tickets available. If not, just come out and hang out at the uh, Marina Bay something something hotel yeah. I can't remember what it is the Hyatt Regency and while we're there yep. we're gonna be live recording with two of uh, my favorite guests we've had on I don't know maybe Mike doesn't. Adam Morton and John Pless and we're gonna talk about Oswald uh, Bear and it should be a really good one so they've both done a lot of work with Bayer and we're we're hoping not to talk a lot in that one we yep. get 45 minutes is what we get allotted for live recording and uh we're hoping we can kind of wind up uh, doc, uh, Dr. Pless and, and Adam Morton, who will soon be Dr. Morton. He's working on his Ph.D. and let him go. Yeah, that'll be fun. And it's beautiful. It's It's been chilly here in Wisconsin, so we're happy to go to San Diego. And uh, make sure that you uh, tune in. They have all sorts. If you're not able to make it, they got uh, a lot of it is just going to be. I don't even if it's live. But yeah, you can sign up to get it live streamed if you yeah. go to 1517. And there's going to be uh, video archives, I'm sure, and all that good stuff. And uh, be jealous of us in San Diego and come next year. I've been uh, I've been wrestling with what I should wear for my breakout session presentation. That's right. You have to be in public. If they're going to record it. So probably not sweatpants, huh? Well, it does kind of fit where I've been getting at. a lot of grief lately because I started wearing some button-down shirts to school. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of people come and say, well, what are you dressed up for? And I'm I'm still... It's shorts and, or jeans and a button-down shirt. Is, and the so, qu- is the Queen of England coming? Wade's wearing a shirt. Yeah, so it. Uh, maybe I'll do the button-down shirt. I've been getting compliments. I think fat guys look perhaps best in button-down shirts that are untucked, mm-hmm. you know, where they kind of mm-hmm. hang loose? Yep. Because yep. it de-emphasizes the gut. Yep. Right. If you're not going to go black clerical collar because black is slimming. Yep. That's what you and I have to do, so I think that's what you should go with. I, I did wear clericals on Friday. It was funny because it I was a, embarrassing. We were wearing the same outfit. Well, again. I had a wedding for former students up in uh, Fond du Lac. Shout out to uh, Tim Barber, who's now at Concordia St. Louis, um, studying for the ministry in the Missouri Senate, and Amber Schmidt, 
Um, they were married in a Wells church up in Fond du Lac, um, Amber's church, and uh, Tim comes from a long line of Missouri Senate pastors and professors and was a good student to have in class, but I was wearing clericals during the day because I had to drive right up thereafter, and I had at least a handful of students that came up to me in the afternoon and said, oh, man, I missed your chapel. <laughs> and who had chapel that day, Mike? Uh, that was me. Yeah, and I, I said, oh, no, uh, Mike had, or Dr. Berg had chapel, but... Uh, it says a little something that now when they see me in clericals, they just assume <laughs> that I have chapel. Yeah, that's right. So. I was glad you weren't around because you would have had a field day with it. Like, oh, no, sometimes he just uh, doesn't dress homeless. Yeah. <laughs> I try. There's just too many jokes. So I try to I try to keep I try to have a variety of jokes when you when you do dress up. So. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Wade, you should read our disclaimer before we go any further. All right. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize that you were just li- listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all, um, as Peter likes to say, where we talk about the pressing issues of our day. Uh, I wonder how Peter is, Mike. I haven't heard from him. In, you know, Wauwatosa had uh, like a crime, crime spree. spree this weekend. I'm hoping he's okay. Um, we had softball last night, 30-degree weather in Wauwatosa, and I really, I tried to make sure to park my car where I could see it because I didn't want it to get broken right. into with all that's been going on there. Although we, we did get an email today from uh, Amy, Peter's wife, at, we would assume that you would have mentioned if he was in jail or uh-huh. hurt. So I'm assuming he's okay. But we do give our best wishes to Ben and Peter. Yeah. And just for our listeners, maybe I heard new, Wauwatosa is a suburb of Milwaukee. Sometimes we joke it as Wauwatopia. It's a little, it's not like, two, so it, it is a big city that has like uh, 60,000 residents. It has blue collar side and, and, a not blue, and a white collar side, but... Um, it's old stately houses and, and we kind of joke about it as Wauwatopia. And so when there is crime in Wauwatosa, which does happen, uh, it's, it's a big city. Um, we make sure that we check in on Peter. Yeah. Because, uh, who lives in Wauwatosa. Ben and Mike and I actually all live in the city. city I mean, we really have taken our, our lives into our hands and live in the city. So, um, Peter and his relative safety, it, I remember still, um, when the garbage cans, Blew over in Wabatosa, and uh, I believe they may have brought in comfort dogs. By the way, though, my daughter Abigail was uh, watching Criminal Minds, right? The television show, yeah, like a rerun or whatever. And that episode, there was a, it was in Wabatosa. There was a murder in Wabatosa, and they dumped the body in the third. That's how you know it's fiction. Yeah, they didn't do a whole lot of research. And when there's crime in Wabatosa too, our Peter always blames it on Milwaukee people. Well, there's there's something in the heart of Peter that's a little dark. Yeah. Yeah. It uh So but we still love him, so we check I mean we do this out of love. We check in on I might him. drive by and just make sure his house looks okay. We're we're not doing this to make fun of uh his hoity toity address. 
Where, you know, even their signs, like we have green streets, Normal street signs, sides, yeah. like every other place in they America. They also rename the streets often. And they have like, it's blue and then it has the crest, the seal of the, of yeah. the city on it. So we do, we do out of, out of love to make sure that Peter is okay, that he's locking his doors, uh, that his children, you know, have our following a curfew and stuff because, you know, it's even in Wauwatopia. Maybe put some stones like on ropes on their garbage cans to keep them from tipping. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad things that happen in Wauwatopia. So, all right. Favorite thing, uh, in your office and something you'd like to have in your office. Okay. I'll start with what I would like to have and I'm going to give three and then I'll say the one that, uh, would be the main one. I would like to have like one of those, you know, like in the Middle Ages, they'd have, you could have several books on a thing. So if you wanted to be cross-referencing mm-hmm. books and it was like That'd a wheel cool. and you could spin it because I still like doing, you know, like Logos is extremely helpful if you're doing a uh, tech study or stuff like that. But especially like when we're prepping it for winging it, if I yeah. could have like three or four books open That's and then like idea. cross-reference that way, it would be, that would be one. We need to, you need to have, this assumes that by the way, that we would have more room in our offices. We have right. fine size offices, but you know, we could, both of us have enough books and knickknacks and stuff that we could double our office and right. still have. But ours are big compared to the rest of campus. And even when I'm at other college campuses and I see people's offices, because ours used to be dorm rooms, so mm-hmm. we are kind of spoiled. Although mm-hmm. Mike is extra spoiled because Mike has two windows mm-hmm. and I only have a one window. Mm-hmm. And there's an air conditioner in it right now that's not very helpful when it's 30 degrees outside. My second thing would be, uh, I can never say the fancy name for it, but one of those kneelers. like uh, Yeah, um, with a nice book stand. I, cool. I think I would like one of those when my air conditioner wasn't in there um, to kind of be able for devotional stuff. Um, the knee's not so good right now. It's still recovering, but I always, uh, that's one of the things I, just as a posture for stuff, I find it helpful sometimes to be able to kneel. And the third would be, if you remember from Seinfeld, I've referenced this a number of times, I'd really like to have a bed under my desk mm-hmm. where I uh, I could just kind of build a barrier. You know how my standing desk is mm-hmm. there? I feel like I could stack stuff there that you couldn't see across. And uh, so I could sleep, but have my door open, mm-hmm. like during office hours. And, and so, people like, come in. And yeah, be- and people peek and be like, oh, he must have gone to the bathroom or stepped out. Yeah. And then... Uh, a little napping. There, there's a little bit of a flaw with that because you could have a student come in and be like, where is he? And they come to my office and like, where is Johnson? I'm like, oh, he's not in there. He probably just went to the bathroom and then they just wait. And then you're stuck. I get, in, I'd be like, uh, you're stuck in there. I'd be uh, like yeah. Eglon with the Moabites in the Old Testament where they yeah. think he's using the facilities. Yeah. You'd have to wait it out. You have to wait until they leave. Which is what happens to George in yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. So favorite the, thing I would say, uh, I, I do like that I inherited that nice circle table. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really good for meetings. But I'd have to say my favorite thing is still the standing desk that one of my members in the mm-hmm. parish had built for me because I, in Bible class, had mentioned uh, being in St. Louis and seeing uh, CFW Walther's standing desk and how nice that was. And I do as someone who gets <clears throat> a little squirrely. I wish it counted as cardio, mm-hmm. but I have trouble sitting still. I mean, if you ever see me in chapel, I'm kind of mm-hmm. <clears throat> moving and stuff. So I would, I would say my standing desk uh, built um, uh, for me by a, uh, just a, a really faithful, wonderful member. I, my former parish, that would probably be my favorite. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was going to say standing desk for me because I don't have one. And I, 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 I think that I don't know if I'd use it or not. So I'm hesitant to, like, build something. Um, so that, But that, I think that's something that I would like. Um, 
I would like, I, you know, the metal shelves are fine, but I would really like wooden shelves. Those would be, those would be. They do look nicer. They look nicer, and I just feel like one of these metal shelves is going to fall over on me sometime. Mine have, actually. Have I've had one that began to fall forward. I, I thankfully caught it. Oh. And then um, I've had the actual shelf things come loose, which was not good. Yeah, and, you know, if you're, like, moving these, you know, with bare hands, you could cut yourself on these, you right. know. It really is it really is kind of dangerous. So um, what else would I like? Um, you know, I'm pretty content with what I got. I just a little bit more. I would like a more room so I could have a table in there. Um, and I wouldn't mind having, a like, a, a desk where you could, like, it's completely surrounds you either a square or a circle so you can just move you can have everything laid out right i think that would be that would be cool like ron swanson in parks and yeah. rec when he had to sit with the people but <laughs> he could keep turning the seat so he didn't have to talk to him <laughs> yeah i think that would be cool but that that would that would involve you finding another office and breaking down the wall between our offices and me taking over uh, and I mean, we'd miss each other. Yeah. Or we could share an office. You could go across the hall or something like that. We're not sharing an office. Why not? Well, <laughs> because you take naps, you know, I would disturb your naps. No, you don't take naps. Um, yeah, I would. Uh, I have fallen asleep at my table on multiple really? occasions. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want me to just like wake you up or make sure you're alive once in a while? No, I, okay. let me sleep. All right. Um, favorite thing in my office. Oh boy, that's a tough one. Um, um, I got a lot. I inherited quite a bit of artwork from my father who broke up his library for, uh, he had four boys and two daughters. Three of the boys are pastors. And so he gratefully broke up his library earlier for us. And so, um, I got some works of art there. That How did that work? Did he pick who got what stuff or did no, you guys get to pick? Uh, we had a draft. Nice. Yeah. It was like very, it was very thorough. Who had first pick? I don't remember who had the first pick, but you had like lots and stuff like that. And there was some, there was some uh, strategy going on because I had been collecting Luther's works and my dad who served in St. Louis had some sort of connection. It was kind of a weird, like this guy was selling him out of the back of his car, Luther's works from CPH. Like, I don't, maybe he stole them. I don't know. It's a cool side gig. Yeah. So, um, he had, he had. Basically, a did he have him like in his trunk, and you'd meet him in like an alley in like, a bad was, neighborhood? Yeah, I was like two or three, so I don't even know. Um, I should have. I should ask my dad that story again. Um, anyway, so I put those higher up on my list because I wanted. It would have been nice to have a full set. So now you mentioned lots. So was there like three lots, and then you each in draft order you got to pick a lot, or you got to pick multiple lots? So like, there'd be like you you put everything in order. And so it wasn't like book by book, so he had quite a bit. So it would have been like, um, you know, Luther's works volumes one to ten, or okay. here's all of Walther's books, or do you remember what your whatever. first pick was? Uh, I think it was probably, um, it was probably either a piece of work, piece of art, or it was Lu some of Luther's works. Okay. So what about Joe? You know what he I jumped right at? I don't at? remember what he jumped at. I'll so, have to ask him. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I have, to, I have to think that through. So anyway, I got I got some cool stuff. I got uh, um, um, this like chalice that was handcrafted in Israel. I mean, like a touristy thing, nothing, whatever. But that was um, not really a gift, but like, oh, you can just take that from um, man. What was her name? She wrote the book, not without my daughter. 
Oh, Matab. Yeah, uh, Matab was the daughter, right? Yeah, but uh, I have the book in the so office. So Matab was, I think, a couple years below me in high school, and a bunch of us uh, went up and painted at their house, I think in Tawas, I think it was, um, on the on Lake uh, Bihuron yeah. up there. And um, she was very nice to us, and we did, a, I'm sure, a very poor job. And uh, Was, was Bordelin helping with yeah, that? Yeah, Bordelin, I think Tyler was too. So two fans and the shows and two, yeah. two people who have uh, been on our podcast. So that's kind of a cool thing. And she, she got it because she was in Israel. That's where they filmed the movie that Sally Fields played her, I think. so. Betty Mamoudi? Yeah, Betty. That's right. So, I, I mean, she wouldn't remember me, of course, but um, we spent a weekend up there painting um, and doing some work for her. So um, that's kind of a cool thing. I'm sure there's some other things that I'm not thinking about right now. Um, I'd like to have a, my own personal bathroom. That would be nice. On the third floor, because it used to be dorms, it was all girls' bathroom up here, like just a bunch of mm-hmm. toilet stalls. And so we have one bathroom the whole floor, and you have to lock it when you go in, even though there's multiple stalls, because, you know, we have male and female colleagues. Yeah. Um, poor uh, Sheena Finnegan is one of the few women on this floor. The only woman on this floor. Right? I would guess she probably doesn't even use our bathroom that I'm, often because it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, I would, I would imagine that she tries to go elsewhere. It's a bathroom that a lot of men... Use right. and right. we should do like Ed does. They have signs on their stalls, like what stall is for what and for whom. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah so it is helpful. the bathroom thing's a difficult thing. I, I do. We, I do feel. I every time I go in there, I actually feel bad. What if I got you like what they have for hunting and stuff? One of those portable potties, Mike, where you can have like curtains around it, and then you do your business. And... You know, I don't think that solves the problem. Well, maybe it does, but I, no, I'd like my own. Like it's a separate. You know, like I, a modern bathroom. Yeah, like a modern bathroom. With a sink. Indoor plumbing. And I wouldn't mind uh, also having a porch. I mean, there's only one office, the president's office, which is not that big or fancy, but I think he has his own personal bathroom. And, and what then, used to be Dean Brightman's office. Right, and now it's Merton's is in there, and he's got a porch. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't think he has a bathroom, but he has a porch. No, right? he has a porch. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, just and then bef- I probably have the third best office in the whole campus. So. You have, yeah, you would have a good one. Yeah. Maybe just before we close, a little bit something Mike did to me on Friday, um, or at least I think he did to me still, and he hasn't No, admitted. I didn't do it. But uh, So I was getting ready to teach my first class, and I, I had that wedding, and Mike says, oh, you got your um, credentials all figured out with the state. And so I got... Really nervous. I wasn't going to be able to do the the wedding. And so I would say I spent the better part of um, (laughs) two classes distracted by that and um, in breaks, like looking up Wisconsin law. And I would say I interrupted your class, Mike, at least. Two or three times. Two or three times about it, rather in panic mode. And so then we had chapel, and I was asking our campus pastors about it. And so Wayne Chevy said, uh, I always just stick my business card in, in with the marriage license for mailing it. And so then I went back to my office a little later, and I can't find my business cards. And, and Mike, who would be one person on the third floor who has a, a key to my office? I do. And uh, <clears throat> would you like to uh, admit anything live I, I on the I seriously pres- did not. I've ne- I did not steal. You know, you rearranged your office. You probably just misplaced them. The business cards? Mm-hmm. Will you just promise me at some point, if you did take them, that you will admit it to me at some point? <laughs> I didn't take them, but if I, if I did, I would, I would, uh, I would admit it. 
I mean, if you did take them, I give you credit. It was a very good, very good prank. <laughs> the, all of this was true, honest. I was just concerned for you at all. I was not trying to give you a hard time. Uh, and but it, I, I would say it was a very le- um, legitimately panicky mood. You were that I was in for that you were. for that morning. So I just want to congratulate Mike on the prank if he did indeed. Can't say that I, I, I can't take credit for it. But. All right. Well, if you did do it, you were uh, you were just letting the bird fly. Maybe with that we can uh, make our way to the main topic. topic and our main topic today is going to be Wade's new book uh you know just about every couple months he's like I'm bored and so one weekend he writes a book and uh he wrote this book which uh, they did they give the title to this I mean you didn't have this as a working title I think they gave the title which is let the bird fly I originally had as the title um clothed and in our right mind a reference to the um garrison demoniac from mm-hmm. um mark chapter five but uh, Steve Burns probably wisely, I would say, um, suggested the uh, the let the bird fly. The subtitle from the podcast was the original subtitle I'd proposed too, um, because I think as he read it, he realized, hey, this is hitting on a lot of stuff um, that's podcast themes. Um, and once I'd asked Mike to write the foreword, it kind of made sense to to tie it in to the podcast. Yeah, and so you originally, when you originally were thinking about this was, okay, this is a primer for ethics that I could give to my students, right? And uh, just uh, literally a primer, not like a summary, but like prime the pump kind of thing, uh, thinking about things as you take a look at the world. And so, you know, just let me go through the the chapter titles and you can kind of get a a feel for for what you're after here. Uh, You know, original sin and the bound will, you know, talking about who we are, justification and the sinner saint, law and gospel defined, law and gospel done, Christian freedom and vocation, human value and rights, two kinds of righteousness and two realms, the reference to the uh, left-handed kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, stepping outside the fortress, which uh, uh, before my time on the podcast, you guys had had, had an episode on that. And then uh, the original title, Clothed and in Our Right Mind. And so uh, what I said, should I say, thinking clearly, thinking clearly about who, who human beings are, um, their relationship with God and their relationship with neighbors would be a good way to, if I was looking for a book that uh, would answer those questions, this would be a good start. Yeah, and I think, I mean, really, you can kind of break it down as uh, anthropology as far as what is a human, original sin, soteriology, how are we saved, uh, the centrality of the doctrine of justification, um, then uh, the means of grace, how is that delivered to us, and then life with neighbor, which... I hope is very uh, vocational in focus and then um, some apologetics at the end, although it's not a primer on apologetics by any means. It's more um, how do we interact with our neighbor in a meaningful way if we want to be able to get to discussions um, of the cross. So it really was, um, it came out of teaching ethics now for six years 
And then um, Mike and um, uh, our colleague, Dr. Leidinger, and myself have been building a Christ in college course, or Christ in um, culture. culture course for the college. And what I wanted is something that could be an early book we look at. And I didn't originally know if it would be published or not. It was something I wanted to be able to give the students for, well, how do we live as Christians in society? What does it mean to be Christian? What should we be known for as Christians? What makes a Christian? Um, I've said many times one of the goals of my classes is that if someone leaves upset about, or if someone graduates or leaves WLC and they reject Christianity or have um, anger towards it, that at least they're actually upset with real Christianity and not with, um, you know, a... Christianity is the moral police or, or something else. And so it, it really sprung out of what's something I could give to students in that class, especially students who maybe haven't had ethics, um, because this is an applied theology elective, that would help set framework for, and then we look at a bunch of dystopian fiction, non-Christian stuff, but a framework for saying, well, what is this author we're looking at? What do, what do they think a human being is? What is human flourishing um, and that's something I've gleaned a lot from Mike over our time together and am appreciative for. Um, how do they see people? How does the doctrine of justification relate to identity issues? And then how do they see human interaction, life with neighbor, what motivates it, what's guiding principles for it? And to be able to assess that from a, a Christian perspective and to see that some of these core central biblical teachings are built into Western narratives. Mm -hmm. Someone need not be a Christian to appreciate a good redemption narrative um, or to appreciate something that really propounds well um, upon the, uh, the sinful nature. They might not call it the sinful nature, but the human capacity for evil. Um, but also our, our, even though we are by nature egotistical, that kind of the altruism that's part of being a human being too, that we are um, societal creatures, social creatures, and so how does that get into neighbor relationship? And so the hope with it too is it's something that um, in parishes, if they wanted to use as a Bible class, would hopefully be something that could help um, discussions in Bible classes of, you know, we're all here and we might have different political views or view political issues differently, and we may arrive at our positions in a Christian way or a non-Christian way, What's some Christian ways for being able to dialogue on stuff or to look at? Um, the book doesn't, prior doesn't even mention, let's say, something like gun control, but I would hope reading the book would help a Christian think through, well, what, what would be? How might a Christian view an issue like gun control? How might I arrive at a different position than my neighbor or even my brother and sister in Christ, but still they arrive there in a Christian way, and how do we talk in a responsible way? And so stepping outside the fortress is, is a lot on that, too. Um, I... I Really enjoyed Alan Jacobs' book on uh, I can't remember the name of it, but how to how to, how to do, think how to think, yeah, and and so that as well because I think that um, many Christians, myself included, and people in the church are not as good anymore uh, on being able to talk to people across divides or break things down and not seeing them as all one big platform or narrative, but being able to look at things individually. So I wanted to hit hard. In the first half on um, original sin, that we are fallen creatures, which means um, though we still have uh, value as creatures of God, um, we have weaknesses and faults. Uh, and then to get to the only way we are saved, which is doctrine of justification, and then the role of preaching in that. I mean, I would say one theme 
throughout the book is the um, the absolving word, the word of absolution is Christian life, right? This is what um, gives life to the Christian. So that as a central role. Um, and then life with neighbor. And I would say, Mike, that's the section especially where you've influenced me a lot on avoiding um, a selfish sanctification where I use my neighbor to get my own spiritual points and recognizing that Christian freedom is in many ways being freed from myself for the other. So that um, rather than a, a Christian life that is all, um, you know, soli deo gloria, um, to God's glory, I'm doing all this for Jesus, which we should do things for Jesus, don't get me wrong, but to really think about uh, the sheep and the goats and the fact that the sheep were so lost in their neighbor that they had to be reminded that they were doing that for Christ as well. Yeah, I always thought about just to that point, and then I'll go back and bring up some other things that more and more convinced of the glory, working for the glory of God is shorthand for loving my neighbor to the glory of God. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we think about that just as parents, right? And my, my kid goes out and, you know, volunteers or plays nice or whatever level your, your child is, however, whatever age level your child doesn't is sell at. crack. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff like, Oh, they got a job and they're not leaving in my basement anymore. And <clears throat> you wouldn't, you wouldn't be proud of the fact, at least I'd hope not, that your child, you know, does something good or, and then goes, you know, did I do okay, daddy and mommy? Like looking for, did, did I, did I live up to the last name, <laughs> you know, the last, fa our family name? That, that would be kind of devastating. You would, you would automatically go, wow, I must've been this tyrant of a father or a mother it's when they do it naturally without any thought of pleasing mom or dad that's to the glory of the, of the parents um and to the last name if you want to think about that that way uh, throughout generations but anyway um so your book i think is helpful um because i'd imagine some students although they probably now know uh, the reputation of the ethics class here like, oh, we got to take ethics, and this is going to be a lot about situation A, situation B, and we have parallels between these situations. How do we navigate that stuff? And, and you do talk about those classic uh, ethical conundrums a little bit, but just to give them a primer about um, how to think clearly um, about humanity, anthropology, about grace and freedom. And as they go through their ethical life, it's not like they're going to sit down at every position and get their Rolodex out of ethical conundrums, you know, and ask yourself this question and kind of go through the, through the line. And that's what I should do. But, uh, to see neighbor as Christ, uh, to see your, yourself as the mask of God, to see people who are, who are trying to justify themselves, whether they know it or not. Um, all of those kinds of things I think are really helpful in your book. And then the second main point, and this is more for, why why a layperson should buy this book or why maybe a pastor wants to take a look at this and say, let's buy 10 copies and take one of that small kind of, at least not the right word, but you know what I mean? Uh, thoughtful, the thoughtful Bible class, maybe a lot of a parishes are have where we can take a group of people who are really committed to the next level is this point that um, we don't know how to talk to each other. I, I just saw, I can't remember what the, the title of the article was. I didn't even read it, but I got angry at the title. It was it was somebody taking a shot at the Cardinals. No, <laughs> that's that that's that's really irrational. <laughs> my uh, yes, my my irrational and unhealthy relationship with St. Louis Cardinals. Um, 
I think it was somebody kind of taking a stab at uh, a looming court case in the Supreme Court about uh, voucher programs for schools. And I think the title was a clickbait kind of title, like, um, you know, you're paying for your neighbor's Christian Christian education. You know, they're coming from a very, I think, ignorant view, whether they're Christian or not, but even almost maybe an anti-Christian. And that, you know, I, that rightly kind of ticks me off. But then I also, on the other side, see some Christian, uh, you know, put the law before the gospel and yep. and the world's come, you know, and it's, it's both sides that just are just not being very thoughtful about things. And it's not, it's not just, as we've said, learning to, to understand the other person's point of view. It's just about thinking clearly in the first place and about who human beings are, our relationship with God, the physical and the spiritual, why the great big questions of this world. Who am I? Where am I going? How should I live? What is a good life? Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned that in connection to Christian freedom, and I think those two are part and parcel of what comes out in the book, is in many ways it's saying um, that as Christians we're called to live a life not of fear but of freedom. And I think that's an important reminder for Christians, but it's also a touch point for people who are not Christians. I have a friend who likes to say, follow the fear and you'll get to the idol. Um, if you hear fear talk a lot, listen to people and you'll realize what they've made the idol in their own life or <clears throat> what really matters to them, what means a lot that they think is at stake. And unfortunately, I, I've seen the, the church, especially um, in the last decade and with the culture wars, adopt in, in way too many instances an attitude of fear. And that hurts evangelism, um, that hurts civic engagement, that hurts how we do apologetics. And it's just, at the end of the day, not what um, the life that Jesus came and died and rose to give to us. Um, and it, it, it also becomes idolatrous because we may be working out of fear um, and it could be a right. because we love Jesus, but we have to, have to ask, are we lo- is it because we love the Jesus who we meet in the Gospels? And so I would say a lot of this also came out of the the Mark book, I do think Mark chapter 5 is just such an eye-opening chapter um, for a life of freedom rather than a life of fear on what Jesus came to do. I joke in the book that in many ways it's an extensive commentary on Galatians without quoting Galatians all that often. Um, but you look at how Paul approaches the Christian life in chapters 4 and 5 of Galatians after the three um, doctrinal or dogmatic chapters and it's, are you going to live free in the spirit or are you going to return to the flesh and live in fear, um, become apoplectic about stuff, hunker down in the fortress? Um, th- there's really only two ways to, to live. And so I think Christian freedom becomes central for what turns us outside of ourselves, what sets us free from a life of fear. And I think that's something the church really needs because otherwise what the what a non-Christian gets from the church or with, from contact with Christianity is anything but um, the one thing that the church has that the world doesn't, which is gospel. And that's not to say the book is not advocating um, getting rid of the law, but it, I would say um, it advocates a law that is law, mm-hmm. right? The, a law that does primarily what it was intended to do, which is to accuse, to threaten, um, to make us see our lost condition 
so that we will hear the word of absolution and then be able um, to live uh, in that absolution. And that's what Paul really means when he's talking about fruits of the Spirit or a life in the Spirit. It's a, um, it's a life that I can live and engage in, liberated, which um, maybe to point us back to, um, what episode was it, Mike, where we were talking about Luther saying we can venture all things? Boy, oh, like, the Matthew 25. Okay. And the parable of the talents. It's really a life that leads me to be able to venture all things so that I can engage um, with non-Christian works of literature, non-Christian academic works, um, non-Christian cinema or music or art, and find in it um, what does it say about human beings? What does it say about how people of our time or past times have seen themselves? What are the the big questions. And so I can both grow in my appreciation for Christianity, but I can also learn that there's a lot more contact points than there are differences. Um, and and that way we can be healthy Christians. We can have a healthy church. We can be, as the original title said, um, clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in our right mind. Um, we can raise our children better and not to raise our children um, in fear. Uh, to go out and to be able to venture off for Christ and to recognize sometimes it might be uncomfortable, sometimes it might be messy, sometimes we might not know the answers, sometimes we might associate with people that other people don't think we should associate with, um, but we can do it all because end of the day we have Jesus, um, we have, as Dave Zoll says in Seculosity, enough. Um, we have a righteousness already and we need not find that uh, anywhere else. And um, Paul Zoll has a great quote where he says, uh, Christians become Pelagians uh, immediately after their baptism. <clears throat> and what he means by that is we, um, we are tempted constantly to turn back to the law for self-justification as a metric or a standard for our relationship with God. Um, and what we lose is, is that, that the law, if we want to speak of the third use and guide, what it really does is it says, now here is how you can live in the Spirit, and here are the things that are pleasing to God, and lo and behold, the things that are pleasing to God um, direct me to my neighbor and not away from my neighbor. And so to, to maybe help um, talk people out of this neo-monastic impulse that I think is developing um, in Western Christianity, and specifically American Christianity um, and an almost frightening pace in our own day. And, and Mike, you've talked a lot about that. Maybe you can unpack for people what, what I might mean by that neo-monasticism. Mm -hmm. But I think it, it can be an unhealthy trend, and it's it's one that in American Lutheran circles is um, is hardly a marginal thing, I think, it, yeah. in 2019. Yeah, I think we can use that term twice. I, we <laughs> owe props to John Pless, who's the one I got that uh, that phrase from. In, in Speaking, speaking of vocation, it is the idea that you do church work, you volunteer at church, you're at church, and then that's somehow more holier than if you go watch your kid's Little League game or whatever. But I think maybe what you're also after is uh, putting yourself uh, away from the world, right? Um, I'm, I'm going to be under the guise of I'm holier than everybody else. I'm really living in fear by pulling myself away from the world, right? Um, and so I hate, um, I hate the way politics is going. And so I'm going to go, uh, you know, with Peter, go build a cabin in Idaho with, you know, and, and start my own little utopia or something like that. 
but for the church to pull away as well too and to have did you did you choose peter just because he's probably the one who knows the most about I'm building guessing, a cabin i'm guessing that's i don't really know for sure but i'm guessing peter i don't that's you know if you dream. chose him instead of me just because you like him better <laughs> or if it was because he can build things um, and i can't I, I think i chose him because i think he's thought about how you would start your own your that's own probably life, very true right like he like he knows how to build uh, one of those off uh, the grid panic rooms yeah. yeah off the grid like he's probably thought about that what would it look like if we had no government He's, he's a good choice then, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can come with us. I feel like I'd hold you guys I back. I don't know what you're going to bring. I would probably bring lamentation and complaint. And levity. I think I'd mostly complain. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, no, it would be fun. That would be fun. We should start our own um, country. That would be great. We'll think about that. Yeah. That may be a free-for-all. I'm just not going if there's not internet or fast food. There would be... That would be a good free for all. Like, if we could, if we could do this, where would it be, and how would it look like? I'm, a, I'm afraid that we would kind of there'd be infighting. We wouldn't get off the ground. No. Um, anyway, um, I would want to be president of it, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, that that may be a problem. Um, we'd probably let you though. Right, but then you would just set up a structure that completely. Since it's made kind of like a non-government government, government, yeah. government, we're not going to listen to you. Right. So uh, back to our original point, which I forgot what it was. Neo-monasticism. Yeah, neo-monasticism. Putting ourselves away from that, and then you're in a defensive mode. Your fists are up, right? And then you are able, I think you're right on about saying, follow the fear and you will find the idol. So the idol for many people is the United States of America. It's the country. And uh, pulling Christianity into this fight by saying, these, these are the people that are going to take away our Bibles and all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's an exaggeration, of course. On the flip side, um, follow the fear of if we don't get rid of religion, then everything's going to fall apart. And we, we shared a video about that, about that one. Uh, I think she was Swedish. Maybe she was some Scandinavian girl that was at a, uh, it was on C-SPAN and they were talking about environmental things. And she was upset that she was, she was panicked because we only have a couple months, months left before the world is uninhabitable and all this kind of stuff. So she said, not only should we stop making babies, we should eat the babies, right? She had a t-shirt that said, eat the babies. I think it turned out that was like a GOP plant, right. by the way. Yeah. I, I kind of figured it was, you know, but you could, you could tell people like that getting so worked up. I mean, this does happen and maybe it is my idol is, well, the idol's finally us that I can be more righteous than everybody right. else, right? So you can see the... Everyone has their own apocalypticism. Yeah. Everybody has how they see the end yeah. times. And so I, this is something I struggle with and why I think this is a good conversation because I think a lot of people struggle with it. Or let's put it this way. They don't think they're struggling with it, but they are and they should think clearly about it. Is how much do I get worked up about um, not just politics, but but kind of causes. So I, I, you know, I've thought about this a little bit and it kind of bugs me where when people try to self-justify by their righteous cause, the people who are actually victims are abused twice. They may be abused first by whatever, whatever thing it is, um, bad, bad economic policy, racism, whatever. Then they're abused again because I use them for my own righteous cause to feel better about myself. So they, becomes, they become an, uh, an ends rather than a means. Right. 
And so I, you know, I oh, wait, no, uh, flip it around. A means rather yeah. than an answer. And I, and I, so, I mean, not to be conservative on this one, but, you know, it's it just, you know, you're flying around in your private jet and you're complaining about environmental calls, that kind of stuff, right? Um, Although and, I will say we had a, went out for dinner for Nick's birthday and they had paper straws at the place we went to. Yeah. They and they weren't bad. No, that's they fine. Weren't. Yeah. And, I'm, and that's the thing is like. And I did feel good because probably I saved a sea turtle's life. Yeah. And so that's the point here. Instead of making it the cause of the day, that makes sense. Let's do that. Move on. Right. Instead of this kind of self-justifying way of, of looking at every cause. And so then the next step is how much do I get involved in it? So I am not. I mean, I'm just sick of. I mean, I don't. Don't. Trump's an idiot. Let's just admit that, obviously. Um, I'd like to apologize to all you know, the listeners who don't think that. Yeah, and then, but I would also I'm say also argue with you all the people that are like obsessed with him on the left. What do they call that? Trump derangement yeah, syndrome. Yeah, like, you know, it just, and so I, I've, here's, my, here's my dilemma is as a citizen, the vocation of a citizen, I do want to be engaged. And even though it's a crappy system, all systems are crappy. Um, you know, do how much do I engage in this? How much do I, I, you know, uh, think about this? How much time and effort do I put into this? And I don't want to seem aloof where I say I don't care about that. Who cares? It'll all work out in the end. But that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I'm not going to get worked up in either way, and I'm not going to. I hate it when my blood boils because I see something out there that I know is either meant for me to have my blood boil. This is why Mike's not on Twitter, by the way. Right. I just don't, you know, I just, maybe it's that I don't care enough. But the point, the original point is this book is helpful to start to think about. It's not just in situation A, you should be on this side or that side. It is thinking about freedom. It's thinking about gospel. It's thinking about anthropology. It's thinking in much deeper th uh, themes. And when you're at home with these dip deeper themes you're, and you are at peace in the gospel, you don't get so worked up about these things. And you don't then, you're not then driven by fear, which is to bring it full circles, which I originally wanted to point I originally wanted to make. Yeah, and something that I found interesting in working on the book, and I'm sure Mike has even seen in my, our discussions we have, is that working on the book and working through Christian freedom has actually probably made me more politically engaged, not less, in the sense of, um, I you know, and we haven't done a lot of episodes on it because I'm. You're not. You're not saying I got to be on this side because we want to win, or the world's going to fall apart. Or every Christian has to be on this no, side. You're a little bit. You have the freedom to be nuanced in the way you look at politics. And you have the freedom to maybe, because you're not tied to winning or losing or being a part of a tribe, you're actually able to look at it with a, a little bit, oh, I don't know, reason, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, take something like poverty. Um, rather than having to be in one of two-party platforms that says um, the solution uh, to poverty is for people to pull them up by their bootstraps and deal with it and want to get out of it, or the flip side... Um, the solution is for the government to solve other problems. You know, it's kind of liberating to be able to look and say, you know, um, poverty is real, and I should study um, the difficulties that come with that and the cycles and who gets hit hardest and how they get hit and what we can do to remedy it. 
Um, but to do so in a way that says, that's my neighbor who is struggling mm-hmm. with poverty, um, and I want to help my neighbor, and that in two ways, to say, well, what can I do um, individually or through the church? But then also to be able to say, too, <clears throat> how should this shape how I vote mm-hmm. or how I think politically? Um, and to let that be something uh, to look at life issues and, and to say, um, obviously, I come from a pro-life position, uh, um, both when it comes to uh, abortion or end-of-life issues. But to be able to say that same view of the sanctity of life, how should that shape how I look at war? Mm -hmm. Um, How should that shape how I look at economic policy? How should that shape how I look at um, racism in America and and what it has done in the past and how it's impacted still today? And you don't get there unless you know original sin because I can't look at somebody and say, Oh, why can't they just figure it out? Well, if you were in that position, since you're a dirtbag just like everybody else, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have been able to pull yourself out. Don't 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 make yourself too righteous just yet. Yeah, and and at the same time too, um, and that's where I think original sin is so interesting. But to see in Genesis one and three, one through three as well, um, the value of a human being, and and to want to say, um, you know, we didn't necessarily get to the Bill of Rights in America. Um, because of biblical exegesis. But there's a lot of good stuff in there that does agree with what God is is doing with the image of God stuff in Genesis 1 through 3. Um, And how do I uphold the dignity of my neighbor even when I disagree with my neighbor, even when my neighbor doesn't come from my my tribe or or my group? And I think that's something that as Christians we we oftentimes struggle with, and especially in Christian conservative uh, circles you look at um the talk about the second command or second amend or yeah second amendment and you'll hear people who get all worked up about that but then we can also forget the other amendments and and how uh, look at an issue like privacy well how does i think that would be a, a great episode by the way how does um privacy is that a christian value the right to privacy should it be a christian value is there such a thing as privacy yeah um or free speech, um, freedom of expression, freedom of religion. We were just talking about Luther's Invocavit sermons in the Winging It session we um, recorded in Luther saying you shouldn't compel or coerce someone religiously. There can be good ways in approaching those things through a Christian lens and talking about them and discussing them. And maybe we end up on different sides of it, but at least we get there in a neighbor-focused way and in a way that uses the lenses that God gives us um, in the scriptures for doing so. And I would like to see us do that more um, than rather, as you pointed out, Mike, doing that through Americanism um, or other things that are not the best Christian lenses for getting there. And so I will say there's not a single political or social position advocated in the book. What I'm trying to do is how do you get the point of being free enough to then get to that point. And so a lot of what I want to do with the book is is to drive home, you are free, and then now to help you see your neighbor. And to see your neighbor, um, not for what group they belong to or even their beliefs, um, but to see your neighbor for your neighbor's sake because your neighbor ought to be seen, <clears throat> right? Um, because God sees your neighbor. And then to be thinking about how can I best serve them, not for salvation, um, but because I've been freed for them. 
um, this is my vocational uh, purpose in life. Yeah. That, going back to how we talk to each other and how we treat each other as well. I mean, I'm tempted of this uh, uh, to do this all the time. You know, let's do, you're talking to somebody who um, is on a different point of view, whether left or right. And I think we're both probably more central in the center. Um, I'm probably more right than you are. Um, yeah, I would say probably uh, it's a center right, center left thing. Yeah, not extreme. And, and so I want I want to say to the person who is uh, to the extreme in animal rights, but to also the extreme of what they would say abortion rights, to the point of cheering, you know, the right to you know have a have an abortion in a, in a third trimester, and say, you know. It's, I want to do the one line thing while like, you know, it's illegal to steal an, you know, bald eagle egg and kill it, but it's okay. That to, is illegal. You, you know, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You should stop doing that. Yeah. But you know like, what I'm I mean? Gonna, I got to go get something on my office <laughs> real quick. I can, I can do that one liner and I can do it on the other side too. I can say, you know, yeah, I hate immigrants, says the native person to the white person, you know, who came right. over. Right. I mean, I can just do that without any nuance. I can walk away. Like I won that argument when all I did was I just had a one liner, you know, right. and I, and I, I'm less and less intrigued by like Saturday night live and, um, John Stewart doesn't do it anymore, but, uh, the daily show and all that kind of stuff. I go, I don't think this is helpful, even though it's funny. I just don't think it's helpful anymore because it just, it's so cheap and it's so easy and it's not thoughtful. And, uh, and of course it's on both sides. And I think that's the frustrating, the frustrating part. And I think your book leads us to be a little bit more thoughtful and nuanced about, about things without making any kind of, and you wouldn't want to do this without coming down on any side, which is, I think the way you should do ethics generally, um, you know, instead of all these, uh, you know, trolley problems, which are interesting and, and can be helpful. Um, but those, that's, it's easy in the end, you know, to try to, try to just navigate and come down on one side. Well, neighbor becomes abstraction rather than concrete. The same as, as with the Saturday Night Live or Daily Show in that we treat neighbor as, as caricature rather than actual character as an actual, as an actual person. And, and we try to make this point, especially whenever I can with students is, um, whenever you don't look at a human being as a human being. The only option is that they're a thing. <coughs> we use things. We, we have no other option but to use things. We can't do anything else with them. You can try to fall in love with them. That's a, maybe a, that's a, for a different day. Yeah. <laughs> you use things. You don't, you don't see that as, as a person. So when you look at a person and you see that as a thing, you are automatically going to use that people person, which is a misuse. And I would say even abuse. So it, it does, it does matter, uh, that we think clearly about all of these things. Yeah. So I, I don't think we have to go no. too long on it. I always feel bad <clears throat> promoting my own stuff. I do thank you, Mike, for the forward. And I think the book is, uh, maybe worth getting just for, <clears throat> for that is Mike really ties it all together in a baptismal and vocational way. Um, I would say, Mike, you can agree or disagree. It kind of, if you're a listener of the podcast, it, it kind of sums up a lot of the themes of the podcast, probably in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think so, and I think this would be. Uh, let me let me just get. I'll plug it for you. So, uh, short book, easy read, hundred pages. 
um, uh, as an individual Christian, taking it to the next level, thinking about what, what uh, uh, the background that both you and I have uh, with these issues and kind of will gear you towards understanding why you wrote this book. Um, you got a kid going to college. Maybe this is maybe a gift for them. I think it would be good for a small group, group Bible class. Um, you know, it's accessible. You could buy 10 copies kind of thing. Um, but it, it, it's really helpful. So I hope, uh, I hope you, uh, sell a lot of books, Wade. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, if that, if that works, I'll buy you a, I'll buy you lunch down in the cafeteria someday. <laughs> no, uh, uh, your friendship is payment enough. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, my business cards would be great too. <laughs> Seriously, do not have them. Okay. Well, I appreciate Mike you being willing to talk about it in the episode today. Um, I appreciate the guys being okay with using the podcast title for it. I do think it ties together well with a lot of what we do. Um, Looking forward uh, to some opportunities to be talking about it um, in the year to come. Um, If you do have people who have interest in uh, having someone come and and break down some of the themes for the book... uh, I, uh, as schedule permits, I'm, I'm happy to, to come and do that. It's a lot of stuff that I'm um, interested in and passionate about talking about because it, it comes out of a lot of my work I've done um, in the parish and in class setting. So either way, buy the book, don't buy the book. Uh, my hope is that you will, uh, in freedom and enjoy, without fear, let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down